At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This episode is powered by denmeditation.com. The meditation is the primary focus. The bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Hey all, it's me, Tal, your host, founder of Den Meditation. We have actress Logan Browning on today. She was the star of Dear White People. She was in power. She started in Summerland, which is dear to me because I was working at the WB at the time. Um, also a DEN teacher training grad. So she's been part of the DEN for a long time, which is one of the reasons I adore her lover and got to know her. Um, why I wanted to have her on is very powerful and I think is a very um, important conversation about identity. She was adopted at six months old and found out when she was 13 that her biological parents were actually um, from a white mom and a black dad. So she is biracial and she never realized that, raised in an all black family. And anyone understands that 13 is definitely a time of change. So we get into a very deep and open, transparent conversation about what is identity? What does it mean? How does it change? How does it evolve? What happens to you when you find out you were different than what you always thought you were? I love this conversation. She is so honest from every turn. Um, I think everyone has a lot to learn as I think as the world is changing and evolving, identity has become a very big part of it, who we each are, how we respect each other and how we treat each other. So I think this conversation is really important. I hope you enjoy it like I did. Also stay tuned. She has a beautiful passage as her personal practice, I would recommend closing your eyes, sitting, maybe it's at the end of a meditation, you turn it on, or maybe instead of a meditation, and then you can just kind of think about what it evokes in you because it is a beautiful passage about love. So I'll end my chatting now. And without further ado, Logan Browning. Well, how are you? I'm so happy to have you on. We, you and I have been talking about this for quite a long time. We have, we have. We start every podcast episode with asking one question. If you have a word to describe yourself now and a word to describe yourself five years ago, what would it or they be? Oh, okay. A word for now and a word for then. Um, okay. So the word five years ago. I know, right? You have was... to figure out what's happening. <laughs> Pre-pandemic, um, I was like in the heart of dear white people. I was in my late twenties. I was kind of, I was struggling because I really felt like I was in, in like doing what I wanted to be doing, where I wanted to be, um, working in a job that I loved and other things were kind of happening at the same time. And, and I'll, I'll be very specific. I, I went on a a radio show and I said something I didn't mean to say. And Ooh. I, and, and I couldn't, I couldn't take it back. I'll never be able to really take it back. 
and um and it really spiraled me it spiraled me so i would say like i would use like spiral and struggle for for the I would, spiral is interesting because i feel like you're kind of like going in a circle it wasn't all bad you know it wasn't mm-hmm. it was still a good and happy time but this this was always in the back of my mind like wow once you say something that once you say some things once you say them you really you can apologize and you can learn from it and i really grew from that time so i'll say now the word i'd use for myself is intentional i'm i'm way more thoughtful about what i do and what i say be my words yeah i mean you don't have to be specific with what happened if you don't want to but can you give a general idea of like what like did you offend someone did you yeah i was on um I was really like out of myself. Like, I think I was trying to be someone I wasn't. I was on a radio show. Um, it's got like a hip hop vibe. So I was kind of like being like super cool, you know? And like, um, I, <clears throat> I said something about where I'm from that I didn't mean. It was something that people used to say all the time around to me when I was growing up there that I internalized. And then I said it out loud and and everyone from where everyone back home were like wait what that's how you feel and i'm such a person who's like i i just really honor where i'm from and like the influence it's had on me and then so now to see especially cuz um i'm from the same place the rapper lotto is from so like to see how much she like uplifts like where we're from and makes it sound so cool and i'm like dang <laughs> i did the opposite I could have done of that. this <laughs> yeah so, but it's something you and learn you, from. Absolutely. Did you know it as it came out of your mouth or was it more the backlash? So what was really crazy it was such an out-of-body experience because in that interview, I also said for the very first time publicly that I was adopted. So I was on a high. When I say spiral, that's what I mean. Like I was on a high of like, oh my gosh, I didn't know how, I didn't know how this would come out. I really felt pressured to say it. Um and so my my life was in kind of a whirlwind. I was like, oh my gosh, it's finally out. I, I feel free in a way, but I also feel like, oh, oh my gosh, I, was, I called my mom and my brother immediately. Like, hey guys, I said this out loud. Um, and so I wasn't even thinking about that part of what I said. I was only thinking about the other thing. And I was so miserable when I, when I started getting messages from people that I remember my flight home from, we were in New York, my flight home. I curled myself into the tiniest ball I could in my... Mm in my seat in the plane and I just was crying. I had like my hoodie over. I just, I was like, how do I disappear? How do I disappear? Is this the way? Uh, <laughs> it's so, and I get it. Like if, if it was a something, if it was a way that your where you grew up was referred to in general, I could see how you just flippantly were like, yeah, don't we all just know this? Right. And then yeah. to know that when it comes from someone who's from there, but, but isn't that so interesting? Just the idea of words, like you were saying, sometimes it is who's saying them mm-hmm. like when you have a platform and when you are in a in a position where people are listening to you the um it can be it can be so much more harmful so much more harmful when you're in that position of of in quotes power you know and it is tricky i feel like in today's day and age too with like with with everything it's like there are, and I, and I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, but there are certain like unspoken rules of who's allowed to say what. And if you step over that, 
like it's very hurtful. Like it's hurtful, you know, you know, and it's so interesting that's coming from you too, that like you did it with your hometown, not even realizing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I mean, I, I, I always go back home and like go to the, you know, go to the schools and do things that I love there. And, and I, my hope is that people from where I'm from feel inspired by me and feel like, yeah, I can do that too, or whatever the heck I want to do. So to think that I added to, to think it's also cyclical to think that I did the thing that, that was done to me. Like people always talk locally, people would say like where we're from is like, they would kind of talk, talk bad about it. And I think I, yeah, I just internalized it. And, and instead of fixing it and repairing it, <laughs> I just doubled down on it. Right. Instead of saying the things you said, which is, so you're from the Atlanta area. Am I right? Yeah. From? I'm from the suburbs. I'm from the South of, I'm from um, Clayton County, which is South of Atlanta. Say all the good things that you love about where you're from. I love where I'm from. <laughs> so I, I, I really do. I love where I'm from. Like it's, I'm from a town called Jonesboro and it was a great place, a great place to grow up. It was, it was safe. It was warm. It was filled with art. Like art is the, my, my mother still lives there and she like really pushes. Um, she has an organization called women of Clayton County. That's like really about uplifting the community and like pushing art. We have, we didn't have this growing up and now we have um, an elementary, middle and arts school. We didn't have that when wow. I was there. Now you have a big family. My dad, my, my dad had two sons from his first marriage. And then, um, with my mom, he has my brother and I, and then we have like plenty of cousins and things. Right. And then you moved out early and came to LA. Right. Yeah. At 14, my parents, um, allowed me to go live in Pasadena with my godfather, a guy my dad knew from college. And I called him my uncle, my uncle Freddie. And my parents would um, alternate coming to visit me like every other week. And I just lived in this apartment in Pasadena with my godfather, homeschooled and auditioned. So was he homeschooling you or were you doing that all yourself? Like was he I helping was, or? No, I was doing the homeschooling, <laughs> but I went to a, um, a tutoring like facility. facility. And so, which was so exciting for me because it was like, I got to talk to people. Um, and, <laughs> and I would go like test out of each kind of whatever lesson I was learning and they would put you in this vault when you had to test out of a subject. Um, and eventually the next year, my mom put me in school. She was like, okay, this is, I, I started going to, uh, to church actually to make friends because I was realizing that because I wasn't in school and I didn't know anybody in, in LA and in, in Pasadena, I, I mean, 14 is a tough age to be by yourself in a city where like you don't yeah. know anyone. And you said it was yeah. with your godfather was a single man. Yeah. He was like, I was, I was, was he what? I was going to ask, was he reclusive? Was he social? He was, a, he was much, he was a recluse for sure. <laughs> um, he had had, I think, I don't know if it was a heart transplant at that time. It was an organ transplant. I'm thinking it was a heart. And he just was very low energy. He liked to watch TV. He's very smart, but very like um, to himself. He did, he did, he would take me to the auditions and he'd bring me home, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't, you know, with a, with a kid, it's like, you have to actually engage them and do things with them. You can't just like feed them and water them and watch them grow. 
And so <laughs> the next year, a year when I was 15, my brother Chad ended up moving in and becoming my guardian because my godfather got sick. And that was like, it was like night to day. Like when my brother moved in, he was in his late twenties and he just somehow, he like okay. would take me to museums and he would cook food, you know, cook a meal or like walk me places. Like he really knew, understood like, you know, how to engage a kid. Is that when it felt like you started creating roots here? I really think I, I planted the roots even at 14, even when things were like feeling, you know, kind of dark because I, I had always gone to church back home. And so that was my first thought was, okay, I'm going to start. I found this church. It was called Friendship Baptist. It's actually the pastor who gave the eulogy at Michael Jackson's funeral. And I went oh, wow. to that, you know, I, I just, I started walking, you know, a mile down to that church and I, there were lots of kids there. So I feel like I still know them. I still know all those, those kids I met at church. And, um, I started going on mission trips through that church. Like I, all of my like engagement started happening there. So I feel like I planted roots even when I wasn't feeling, you know, like it was all sunshine. And you did that on your own. Like, that's actually really impressive. As a 14 year old, you recognize I need an outlet. I need connection. And that's what you did. I think as my parents, I, that's how I was growing up prior to then, like back home, that's the life we live. We would go to museums. We would go to jazz concerts. They would have people over. We would go to events. Like we would have family living with us sometimes. Like we were always a very social, engaged kind of family. So to go to the opposite didn't make sense to me. So I was like, yeah, naturally seeking that. Like, how do I feel, fill this gap? Were your parents nervous to let you go? They had to have been. I don't know. I always think back, like, as an adult now, I'm like, oh, my gosh, would I let my 14-year-old go across the country? <laughs> I, just but it was like, your dream. <laughs> it was my dream. I think that they they were – I've asked my mom this, and she's like, you were just a good kid. Like, you were trustworthy. You proved yourself to be trustworthy. Um, you were – you weren't a bad kid. You had good grades. <laughs> I'm like, that's all it takes. It's impressive. I guess. <laughs> so let's go to this kind of spiraling moment between then and now, because within there, you know, you did start coming to the den and that's when you started doing teacher training was within there too. Yeah. So where does that, and it's, and I love how you, when you were talking about it in the beginning of the conversation, you did say like, I was supposedly like outside at the top of my game. Like you just started Dear White People, you're starring. I mean, you're literally the first face anyone sees on that show. You know, it's like you're starring, you're at the top of your game, you're doing well, but you're like you said, you're still, it, like you, you, you had that moment on the radio show. What was going on for you emotionally during that time? I just remember, so my teacher training happened after I, my 30th birthday. So my 30th birthday came. Oh, that's right. And, and that's when I was like, I'm going to challenge myself to, because I didn't know what to do for my 30th birthday. And I was like, I'm going to challenge myself to 30 hours yoga and meditation over the course of the weekend, all culminating on that's Sunday, right. which, yeah, my birthday was on Sunday and I was on Sunday. I now remember this email. Yeah. <laughs> On Sunday, I'm going to sponsor my friends to come do a meditation. Like, cause I wanted, that's how I wanted it to end with like all my friends and family coming. And that was going to be my like birthday. 
And so I, I did it. I had like scheduled it out. You were very like, you guys were like, come do it. Like we're down, like, you know, come on in. And so I did day one up Friday, um, got, I got all my hours. Day two, I got all my hours. Day three was supposed to be a, um, a workshop. And that teacher, and I bought her book and everything. And that teacher got sick the day before and canceled the whole workshop. And I had planned my hours based on that workshop. Oh. I remember I started freaking out. And this whole time I also was, was um, documenting it because I was like, oh, I'm, this is going to be a little short documentary because I've been wanting to direct. And I had a, a, a guy I knew who was kind of recording all of this footage. And turns out on Sunday, I got to the end and I did not get, I got very close to 30 hours, but did not get to 30. But by that point, I realized it wasn't about like, you know, getting 30 hours. And like the idea of getting to 30 hours was very, you know, it was my ego wanting to say that I did, but like everything else I gained was so incredible and bringing my mm -hmm. friends and family to come experience that. And, um, I, I, after that, I ended up being like, you know what? I think I want to go deeper into this. I want to take this work back home. That's why I did the teacher training. I didn't really do it, you know, to, to, to teach as a, a meditation teacher. I wanted to continue my practice and I wanted to be able to have the language to go back home and tell people, tell the schools, you know, with their social emotional learning, like talk to the teachers, like kind of integrate more mindfulness into their classroom. Um, and then the pandemic happened and a friend of mine who knew that I was guiding, do it, doing the teacher training was like, you should do this online for, you know? And so, and then it turned into this thing where I was like, I don't know, but okay, I'll try it. And it was the best thing ever because it was like this community of people that I've been wanting to reach who I felt like didn't have the access to this. Mm -hmm. um, people like back home, people just like, especially black folks, especially Christian black folks, like so many people who I felt didn't have, had never tried this for whatever reason, this being any kind of meditation or mindfulness. And I was just like, really, I was really pleased with, with the way it made me feel in the community How, that we created. And do you go into the schools? Like, have you been able to do that? Go back and like talk to anyone in the school systems? I went back and um, I went to the elementary school, the art school, because I know that principal. And I did like a, I did like a day with the, with some of the teachers and taught them some of the things that I had learned and, and sort of things I think they could integrate into their classes. I also was looking at, I, I, it's on my long to-do list. I want to start a nonprofit that's all about connecting the dots between like organizations that already exist and the people who need them. So mindful schools, I wanted to like, but, and I want to be the person to facilitate the financing. So I, I wanted to figure yeah. out how to connect mindful schools with the schools. I still haven't done it. It's something I want to do. Um, but yeah, I did get to go and like, you know, I still feel good about what I got to do there. And how has it changed your life? Like as, especially as you are more in the public eye, how do you deal with like when you're going through your own shit, like in the public eye, how has it helped you deal with that stuff? Um, I just, you know, I, <clears throat> I was just talking to a friend about this because she was telling me about, um, like, you know, it's just, it was a day she was just feeling very depressed. I 
realized that I'm someone who used to feel depressed a lot more, you know, especially when it's not clinical, it's just kind of like circumstantial depression. And, and, you know, I hadn't noticed that when I was saying that to her, I was like, yeah, I used I, I, I relate to what you're saying. I know that feeling of like, just some days are just like this, but I, I looked back and I was like, oh, my days have been a lot less like that. I guess in the public sense, it's opened up doors that I didn't know would open. So like Gabrielle Union was like, reached out and was like, I listen, I play one of your meditations from Instagram every morning. And I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, why don't you come do this thing with me and Dwayne Wade and we're going to guide a meditation. And I'm like, okay. Or this, uh, young, these young, like podcasters were like, we're going to do this thing. We want you to come talk about mindfulness for the black community. And I'm like, the thing that I wanted when I signed up for the den meditation teacher training has materialized in a Mm. much larger way than I anticipated. I want, my goal was to deepen my personal practice, which it did. And then to bring, bring the lessons to people I thought needed them the most, I'll dare to say, and don't have the access. And so to be like called and invited into these spaces, you know, that are most for mostly like black folks who've never, never even tried something like meditation. I was like, on a global scale, I was like, wow. That's Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Yeah. Like I had this idea now it's gigantic and it's just, it's more, it, we always say that it's like, if you open yourself up, it will go beyond what you thought because our thoughts are so limited and our <laughs> thoughts are so limiting. Right. And it's like, we never actually imagine how big stuff can get because we just don't even know how to see it because mm-hmm. we're just, we're just, you know, we have too many constrictions on that thought process. So that's why, you know, that idea of letting go and flow and just, you know, not always trying to control every outcome then allows you to actually sometimes reach bigger heights than you ever could have even imagined in the first place. And even in the, to me, what I'm learning right now, cause I'm now planning my three to five year life plan. is like the importance of having goals and setting intentions for like what you want for yourself, because I didn't get that stuff just because like I, when I did the teacher training, I did it with an intention. Mm-hmm. I had a goal yep. and, um, and that's how these other things materialized. And the other thing was when I started those Instagram, like similar to, you know, all the, everything you offered during the pandemic, I, I wasn't being like, I wasn't being paid for it, but money came like a right. lot of these opportunities were like, you know, free people was like, Hey, we're going to do this work like this, you know, retreat online. Like, we'd love to have you. I'm like, wow. I never, you know, I, I wasn't going out and being like, and, and the the money came. Yeah. So that was also kind of a, an affirmation, you know, but what a good reminder for everyone listening. Cause I, I say that all the time. It's like, yes, it's good to have ideas, intentions, desires, but as long as it's not locked into, but it has to look this exact way. Mm-hmm. Cause then that's when we cut off every possibility that like free people, you know, <laughs> you know, Gabrielle union, things that you never would have been like, I want free people no. to call and Gabrielle <laughs> union to call. Right. It's like, so if you can keep it open of like, I want, I want to have an impact on those who need it, you know, and those who don't have the access and then all of a sudden to have it compounded more than you possibly could have imagined just shows us the power mm-hmm. of, 
thought. And it goes back to what you started this whole thing with like the intention of word, the power of thought. It's all so much more powerful than just random conversations, random even ideas. Like remembering to, to like my int my intention is always going to be to like point the finger back to like, where did I learn this stuff? And that's something like anytime people are, you know, they're asking me like, where did you learn this? I'm always going to say the den. I'm always going to point to all my teachers. Even like Netflix asked me to, to do like some kind of meditation talk. And I was like, why don't I have one of the teachers on? I had Chandresh on there. So like literally Chandresh and I are having a talk on like on Netflix's Instagram <laughs> live. And I, I feel like that's something that's really important. It's why back to the spiral, what I said hurt me so much is because when I, the people that created the things that I am mean a lot mm -hmm. to me and to ever think I hurt any of those people or those places is that hurts me. I get, I get that. I get that. Yeah. And we realize how it's all connected. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people always feel like if you leave somewhere, like you left to go to, it's like, but you don't, you never leave anywhere. It's always with mm -hmm. you. So I want to talk a little bit about one of the things you and I started talking about a couple of years ago, so briefly, and I was like, we're just going to do this on the podcast one day was this idea of identity and like what that means. Um, so I would love for you to open up a little bit about you have, you were adopted. Did you always know you were adopted? As long as I can remember, yeah. My, yeah, my so mom it was always, told me at like at between somewhere between four years old and six years old. Do you remember? Did she like? Because you know my daughter is adopted too. So yes. did she like sit you down? Like how was? Do you actually remember being told? My, it's so funny. My mom and I talk about this. I I have like a picture in my head, and she's like, "That's not how it went." <laughs> <laughs> and she's told me how it goes, but I still have my version of it, but she did. Okay. Tell me both. I'm dying to see both and like how they diverge. <laughs> I still, I can't remember my mom's version because I kind of just push hers away. I'm like, that's not how it went. It went my way. So in my version, in my version, in our old house, the way that the bathroom was set up was like the tub and the toilet like faced each other and they were very close. And so when we okay. would take baths my mom would sit on the top of the toilet and like just kind of hang out with us. And mm -hmm. in my head, I remember her saying it there. Now what she said is the same thing. It's just the where that's different, I guess. But she, she just explained to me that just like, I have to tell you something, you, you know, someone else gave birth to you. And she, first she said, I'm your mommy. Do you understand that? I will always be your mommy. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, okay. <laughs> So someone else gave birth to you, but I am your mommy. Do you understand? And I was like, yes. And she's like, okay. So you know, maybe she asked me to say it back. And I was like, someone else um, gave birth to me, but you're my mommy. You'll always be my mommy or something like that. She's like, yeah. And, it, and like, I, we really underestimate like what kids understand because she oh, never... Yeah. She never had to like explain it to me again. From that moment on, I completely understood what it meant. And I was very, I mean, I had, maybe I was four, I was very small. And it obviously like I continued to investigate as I got older and I would, you know, revisit this idea, this concept, but I also never felt ostracized from my family. 
luckily I look like my family. So it also like, it's not something I know it's a bit more difficult for people when they don't look like their family. It's a constant reminder. I forget. Like, I'm like, Oh yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I forget. I didn't actually give birth to my <laughs> child all the time. It's, it's weird how it's funny because do you remember, I remember I would just tell Levy from God knows what age I don't even remember just, you know, all the time. But I feel like there was one time because I never necessarily, I did a version of that too. Like, you know, I'm your mom, you came, because at that age, you know, it depends what age, every age the words change, you know, just mm -hmm. like you said, you investigated more as you got older. But I feel like I remember a time where something, maybe we were watching a movie where there was something about like adoption and it was the word adoption. And I remember like going, you need to specifically make sure she understands that this is also her, right? Because sometimes we mm. speak so, and I remember it saying like, Oh, like you, Levy, how great, you know, whatever it was. And I could see there was a moment she looked at me and then I like read said the story and being like, like that. So she put, could put the word with it. Yes. Do you ever remember kind of a time graduating to new language or, because oh, wow. it is interesting because people ask me all the time, how do you talk to her about it? And I say, I've never not talked about it, but the conversations get deeper and more detailed as she gets older, just as she has any question she has, I answer period. And probably with a little more, but it's like, you know, your, your comprehension just evolves every single year. But do you remember kind of moments of being like, oh, and then I learned this, or then I understood this. That's so interesting. Cause yeah, you're right. I'm like listening to you saying that, like to connect, <laughs> to add on those ideas, the, the kind of bullet points in my mind's journey is when I was in, when we moved, so we moved to the new neighborhood. So I guess I was in fourth grade, third grade, fourth grade. And I started making up stories. Mm. So I started like telling people, oh my God, started telling people at school that like, and I started using the language of like adopted. And I would tell like my close best friends and my, my, my dad's mom, like my, my grandmother gave me this, she had a lot of her costume jewelry and one was a locket. And I was telling people like, yeah, this is from my family. They gave me this locket. And like, I was just making up stuff. I don't know why I was doing that. I think cause I started, maybe I started thinking it was very like elusive and mysterious and like, Ooh, this is a cool part of me. And I can make up, I can be whoever I want to be. Cause I don't know mm. what it is. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. Did you feel like an element of that, of, so it goes back to what I was saying. I want to talk about identity. Did you feel a little <laughs> bit of that when you were that age of, yes, I'm me, but there's a part of me I don't know, like even at that young age. And that's where yeah. you're like, I can create anything. Yeah. Because school at that age will remind you if you're, if you're like an adopted person, because you do a lot of, um, Gene, they want you to engage your parents. So you do a lot of like, home projects where you have to come home and like, we have to do a family tree. I need to know what my, what this person did for, you know, work. What did my grandfather do at work? And, you know, I would ask them and then I'd go, okay, that's your grandparents. But like, what about like my other ones and stuff, you know? That's so interesting. You already really clearly knew there was another line that was yours mm -hmm. and you wanted subconsciously to kind of fill in those dots or I started like I started lashing out a little bit not a lot but I remember <laughs> my grandmother mm. my grandmother when we would spend our summers with her and I remember once 
it was, I had three, my brother and two boy cousins. So I was the only girl and it would always be me against them always. And (laughs) something happened and I was the only one who was getting in trouble. And she like grabs me or hits me or something. And I like, (laughs) Oh God, I'm like terrified saying it. I like hit her back and she was like, that's usually the last time you get hit by the way, always when you start hitting back. She was like, well, she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, you're not my real grandma. And she was like, I'm going to give you a head start. Run. And I was like, no. I like run around. My grandma, I mean, like she, it was, it wasn't funny, but like, she was like, run, get out, get out of here. Um, cause yeah. And that, but I said, I'm like, why would I say that? Why would I say you're not my real grandmother? I don't know how old I was probably like 10 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and Did I it- definitely got a talking to. I was going to ask, did you guys talk? Well, yeah. What was said afterwards? Like how did, because like, yes, of course, I'm sure it hurt your grandmother a little bit, but it is, there's a true, a layer of, it's like, how did, how did your parents handle it? I guess as a question, what discussions came out of that? I think that it was really, I don't remember, but I would imagine it being something very like simple. Like you need, like, that's your grandmother. You listen to your grandmother because, because what I, what I said was, you can't hit me. You're not my real grandmother. Right. Which is insane, but all of it's insane. But, um, yeah, I, I honestly don't remember. I think in my family, it, it, if there was a conversation, it's what the conversation always was had to do with whoever you are in the company of, we have entrusted to be your guardian and you must respect them. Was there a time, because it seems like, was there a time that you remember like really being way more aware of being different that way in your family? Like the fact that it's, it's like you're using it so it's coming out so easily at times. Like was there, was it the early teens or the 10, like 10, was there a time in your life that you're like, yeah, I definitely started paying attention to it more? I think it just goes with being like an adolescent girl. Like you already hmm. feel so different. Like your body's changing, your emotions are changing, hormone. Like you already feel all of the time, like out of control. Yeah. So I think there was an element of me just experiencing puberty and adolescence, and also having this other thing. Like maybe, maybe I'm feeling all this. Maybe all these emotions are because of this other thing. I am very different. And that wasn't an all the time thing. Um, But I do remember like, you know, it's something I talk about in my therapy a lot that in um, when I was 13, 14, I had like, I don't know, I was looking for some photos or something in the, you know, in the garage and I found my, my like adoption file that had so much information and I got it and I read it and I was bawling and like I'm sitting on the steps at our house and my, I remember my dad walking by and he was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I had this thing in my head. I was like, you guys didn't tell me all of this stuff. So it was the first time I found out I was biracial. I was 13, 14. So that's interesting. Yeah. That they didn't, that, and I get, look, the times have changed so much. Um, Talk my dad says of, he told me. You know, look, he may have, because I will say one of the things I do with Levy, I repeat stuff over and over and over again, because I can tell that 
two things. I can tell, A, again, it's like what I was saying earlier, you can tell that developmentally not always ready to just understand certain pieces of information, sometimes because you just don't understand it. Mm -hmm. um, and two, I remember, I don't remember what conversation she asked me something. And like I said, I always give a little bit more than she asks to like keep, you know, her story unfolding. And I could tell there was one time, and I don't remember what it was, but I could tell one time I saw her eyes literally like glaze. And, and I tried like to say it again and I saw it glaze and I was like, oh, interesting. She's not ready. Like that's a piece of information. She's not ready. That was a long time ago um, because I don't know. And I also don't study child development. So I don't know like what's the best. So my point is he may have said something once and just assume like I told her. And especially yeah. as a parent, when things are odd, it might be like, phew, I did it. I told her I did my part. <laughs> She'd know, you know what I mean? And you may have heard it. But A, you may have just been a kid and not even understood what was being told to you. Because like a biracial thing at a certain age probably makes no sense to you, you know, or it you may have made sense to you and you just weren't ready to even process it yet. Because I yeah. did see that with one of the things with her where she was like, I could just see it. And I was like, moving on, we'll, we'll go back to that next year. <laughs> and we did, whatever it was, like, it, I'm sure it came back. But so that's interesting. Yeah. He, he said he, I was like bawling. He was like, you guys, I said, you guys kept this from me. I had to find it out on my own. He's like, oh my gosh. He's like, that was not, he's like, you found it. Like it wasn't being hit. It wasn't being hidden from you. It's like, right. You've seen this before. Like, we know this. And I was like, no, whatever. So the reason I talk about it in therapy a lot is because I was, I was 13, 14. I immediately started hair pulling Mm. which I never, I never associated those things as an adult. But like, I remember my first therapist I ever went to, again, I only started going to therapy as of a, as of 30 years old. So I remember telling her these like separate stories and she was like, oh, you started hair pulling after you found out you were biracial. And I was like, no, oh yes, mm. I did. And I never associated those things. And then at 14, I left my family and I went to California so it was all of these things that like I, mm, in this very transformative time in my life as, you know, 14 is such a transformative period of who, developing who you are. My yes. idea of who I was, was just like everywhere. So that's what I was going to ask. Like how, again, like you just said, 13, 14 as a girl is already very confusing. Like, like you said, <laughs> who am I? What are these? What's going on? Am I pretty? Am I not pretty? Am I fat? Am I skin? Like, it's all of it. Like you're developing a whole new personality. So yeah. then, so up till this moment, you just think you're black, right? Yeah. Just a hundred percent. Both my parents are black. I'm the same skin tone as them. Knew I was adopted, but never really thought about my parents being anything else there there would be kids at school who i knew had parents who were two different ethnicities and identified themselves as biracial or mixed or however they you know identified and i never related to them i never saw myself as like them so that was another thing of being like oh okay so i'm more like those kids than i thought um, and I also, you know, it was another thing that made me feel less connected to my family. Like all of a sudden, maybe I don't belong as much as I thought I did. I mean, my, my parents are like 
black as hell. Like, I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like everything, you know, black culture, like, you know, African diaspora, like we had African masks and beautiful African art, all of the, even, even all of the, it's why I think I had like my light skin reckoning, you know, in my late twenties, because the art in my house was all like very deep tone, like brown skin, dark skin people from like in my bedroom, the little girl on the wall playing with the cats or like in the bathroom, the boy and the girl helping each other. Everyone, all of the images didn't really look exactly like me. And so, they, but they were darker than me. And they, and when I saw them, I saw myself. So for me, it was just like, I'm black. There's no question about it. There's no, that's just what it is. What, can you talk about your light skin reckoning, what that means exactly? <laughs> Um, it was like the same reckoning I think white people had during the pandemic of like, you know, privilege. And, um, I had it prior to that. I had it during being on dear white people. Um, and like at different moments in my life, I would go, oh yeah, okay. I am, I'm light skinned that I'm black, but I'm light skinned. And that means that, you know, I'm, I'm treated differently than, um, uh, my friends who may be darker than me. And uh, what is that? does that mean? How do I show up in, in certain spaces to make sure that my friends aren't being ostracized or things like that? Like I just, there were a couple of moments. One, my friend Camille and I, we went to this screening of a, of a documentary called Dark Girls. And that was one of the, one of the times it was very clear to me because she was telling a story and she was saying how like, yeah, when Logan and I go to clubs, you know, sometimes guys will just walk right up to her and like start talking and never acknowledge me. And I'll be like, I looked at her like, wait, what? things I never noticed, but she had a space right. to talk about them or on dear white people, you know, it was written into the show. And I'm like, even though I'm playing the character, I'm like, Oh wait, this is, yeah, this is like to me. Or I would, um, read my, read my fellow actresses interviews or watch their interviews and, and really listen to them and listen to how different their struggles are from mine. And that all was a reckoning of like, wow yeah, the world sees you differently and you, and you have to acknowledge, you, you actually have to acknowledge it. So. And how you do, and that's so fascinating. How does that also, like your community that you grew up with, your friends, because you were saying like there were, you knew some biracial kids, but they were, you didn't relate to them. So who was like your crew, like that you were hanging out with? Um, I mean, I was always kind of like a United Nations kid, like, I mean, everyone just ben, like, ben yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's it, no, black, Vietnamese, Mexican, like white, like it, it was whoever I was friends with at the time. Um, it was very in, 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 that was in like in elementary school. I think that's what's interesting is I think that like, if you go to a, if your kids go to a school where it's like very multicultural, you, it's, I think it's fascinating that kids kind of gravitate towards everyone they don't really like click up as far as ethnicity goes but then when I got right. to middle school I felt myself being drawn towards like groups of groups of black kids like I felt myself like there was a book why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria like it's it's a thing <laughs> but do you and do you think that goes to kind of this thing you're talking about 13 14 confused about identity do you think it's a comfort thing like if you can like why because you said elementary school no one did that but then all of a sudden it's you kind of go to a different school, but it's the same school, same people. What do you think is happening? I think you're developing who you are. And I think you, you, you do just, for me, I think I would just, I just related 
I was just relating to who I was relating to. I also like, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like I was only hanging out with black kids. It was kind of my school had a lot of black kids, um, <laughs> but I, I also it's like, just, it, I mean, that's an interesting comment. Like it was just an yeah. interesting idea because we are talking about at this age, all of a sudden you're just so much more aware of your own identity in a way that you probably weren't aware of it prior. Yeah. I think, um, it's probably the reason. So I, when I was a freshman in high school and when I was a senior in high school, I was homecoming queen. And in my it, I think that I got that because of, I, I yes, I did gravitate towards like certain groups of kids, but I also befriended everyone I could and, you know, throughout the entire school. And I think that's how I won that title. Like, and so I think that for me, I've always felt like I don't, because of those, those times that I felt ostracized, I don't ever want I never wanted someone to feel like that. So I, you know, whether it was like, you know, the kids that were kind of like a little more goth or like, you know, the special needs kids who would like come to lunch at a different time or like um, all of the, I don't know, the debate team, like whoever it was, I just wanted to like hang out with everybody, which is a little bit of a juxtaposition to what I said in terms of like who I gravitated towards in terms of like mm -hmm. my core crew. I definitely like it was it's always been really important to me to try to not in a superficial way. I've always wanted people to feel like I yeah, I'm you can count on me. I'm I see you. I re I respect you. I want to get to know you. So going back to like you have this big reveal for yourself whether your parents told you or didn't tell you. You have a big reveal for yourself. Like can you remember anything from that first night, like going to bed that night? Like what was going through your head? I think I kept looking at the materials and like finding a safe place for safekeeping so it can never be hidden from me again. I, over time, remember pulling it back out and being like, maybe I can figure out something else if I just look at it again. And it would happen, like as I got as I can as I got older, like in, investigating, you understand things more. I would like reread everything I had in front of me to like put the story together in a way that I can understand it at that you know later age. I probably journaled about it. I journaled a lot as a kid. Probably some like, but again, probably some like fantastical journal. Like probably some like probably probably embellished some stuff. Like it was this, it was my way. I wanted it to feel, I wanted everything to feel like magical. Did you, and were you always like that as a kid, kind of wanting the magical world? Is that yeah. also part of the reason you loved acting? Is it like <laughs> you got to disappear into other, you know, created worlds? Yeah, I was a really like, I was a really privileged kid. I grew up like never wanting for something, going fun places, experiencing things, getting to watch TV you know, getting to read great books, getting to play dress up, like have toys, play with the toys, like everything was magical. Like there was, there was no, you know, I'm, I rec really recognize that, that it, that's not, that's not a, um, everyone's like childhood journey. Like a lot of people have these, like, you know, not magical childhoods. And I, I really did. And so for me, everything had to be, ma even the things that felt like not good, everything had to be magical. You had to make it like, make it work. 
If you could say one thing just about identity in general, what do you feel like you've learned? Um, I think I've, I feel I've learned that identity is like, is, I don't know if it's equal parts, but it's part who, how, how, what your DNA makeup is, how you came into this world, where, where you were in the world. I really think like how, what your womb, womb experience was like, what your, what your adolescence was like. And then I think that your identity is, you know, from adolescence to adulthood, who you choose to be. I think it's like your own personal nature and nurture of yourself Mm. and that you're allowed to, I think, I think if you can accept everything you came into the world as and like, just go, yes, 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 yes. And this is who I've decided I am today. That's my, that's how I feel I've understood identity. That is huge and beautiful. How do you feel like people, because I think a lot of people struggle with where they came from saying, no, that and doesn't exist. You are only this. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people from all backgrounds, all types, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's like family, area, whatever it is, sometimes holds a grip of like, we know who you truly are. Like, you know what I mean? You hear a lot of that Mm -hmm. sometimes. Like, we know where you came from. We know who you truly are. Um, That's why I love what you said, because I agree too. I think identity is so much more than only one thing. But how can you talk about, and you, I think more than anyone's really learned to create, because again, you left early too. So you've really, I think, have had to start figuring out who you are on your own. Um, earlier than most people start getting that opportunity. So talk about that a little bit more, that that and part, like you were saying, the you are all these things, your DNA, your womb experience, how you came in, your upbringing, and. Yeah. Well, I think I think the other, the other part about identity is like it is, it's, it's autonomous. So like if someone has decided that they want to negate everything that they come from, that's their personal, that's their personal choice. I think that you'll struggle I think if you, you know, choose to, um, to pretend or to shun that it's, it'll only, it'll only end up hindering you from being that person you really, really feel you are and like want to be. Um, but it's also your choice. Like Rachel Dolezal is out here telling people she's black. Okay. Do you girl? Like, that's what she wants to do. Like, let, like, do you, that's her choice. If she wants to be black, she can be black. That's her choice. You know what I mean? Like, now, is it, is it, you know, is it like true, true? You know what I mean? Like, she's going to struggle doing that. Like, yeah. we're, we're, it, instead of being like, whatever. And that's a very abstract idea, but it's, it's But it personal. is. It's like, I think what I like what you're saying is this idea that identity can be a constant evolution and you always have the choice of where it heads to, but you you have to remember your roots are still somewhere else. And even if your roots look completely different than the flower, still know that the roots are absolutely part of the DNA of that flower. Right. And it, yeah. And I get that. And it's true. Well, it's true. And if you can't own the whole flower, then you're never going to fully bloom. I'm just going to keep taking this metaphor as far as I can. You're never great. Well, imagine (laughs) the metaphor. Imagine if you cut the stem of the flower, like it's beautiful until it, until it withers and dies, like in order to survive, in order to really like to, to have this long lasting 
you know, experience, you have to continue to have that stem to the roots. Like, otherwise you're like, the what flowers a, in a vase and then you die. And by the way, and to keep continue the metaphor though, it's like, there's so many awesome experiences where people say like, holy shit, this always flowered this way. And then this season, all of a sudden it started flowering like this, or it went dormant for three years. And then all of a sudden it became blank, you know, or there was just, I saw something on Instagram of this one flower that blooms like for 24 hours, every like 15 years. And it like just bloomed. It's like, I know pretty crazy, but to think it doesn't always have to look the same as before, but it still was in that soil. It still has those roots and you know, you're going to be a happier human if you can embrace all of it, knowing you have the autonomy, like you said, to shift this. You're not stuck. You're not yeah. stuck in an identity if that identity is not working for you. But yeah. uh, but embrace the parts that have given you you because you can't really go forward in a brilliant way without understanding it, right? And, and, and yeah. holding on to it. And, and you're... I love that. Yeah, I, I love the, I really love the metaphor too. And when I think about like, even my biracial identity is it's always, everyone's is so unique. Everyone's identity is so unique. Even if you're like, you know, me and this person are the same at this, you know, you're, you have your particular experience, but I think about like uh, my other biracial friends who grew up with a white parent in the household, like I'll never have that experience. I'm it's, even I though I'm biologically biracial, I'll never know what it's like to one experience the culture of having a white parent parent to experience what it's like to walk outside and, and to have people wonder if that's your parent. Um, I'll never experience, um, yearning for part of my culture. Like some of my friends only grew up with their white parent and not the black parent or, you know, I'll, I'll never it, it really um, informs who you are as a person. And so it's, I, I find it very fascinating as an adult, the friends of mine who are biracial, how different we still very much are just based on our upbringings. And like, cause yours is cool. Like if we're going to take this metaphor, it's almost like two root bulbs that merged in the soil and then grew a plant, you know, because <laughs> it is, it's like, it, well, it's true. It's like you have the root of, the biracial, you know, DNA coming together and the root of really the family that you grew up in that was not biracial. And then they kind of intertwine. So it ends up becoming a totally different like root system, mm -hmm. which is because that is really interesting. It's like, so then identity wise for you, when you go back to embrace your roots, it's like, was that, was that kind of a, a stumbling block for you at a certain point until you like you just said, like, could really see that, no, it's just my experience is different. But was that hard for you in the beginning to be like, so what are my roots then? Well, sometimes people would ask me, like, are you biracial? Or are you mixed? And once I had the information, I got to make a choice. And so sometimes I would go, no, I'm black or yeah, I'm mixed or no, or actually, no, I don't think I ever said I was, I don't think I ever said that now that I'm thinking about it growing up. I always said, no, I'm, no, I'm black. And that's actually what happened on that radio, sh radio show was the interviewer was like, oh, I'm, I was telling a story and he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I, you're, you're, you're biracial. I'm, 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 I missed that. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm black. It was the second time I, someone's ever done that to me on a radio show, which is a whole other therapy dealing I've had, which is people forcing things on me in a public space, which is, you know, 
And why uh, can I ask why they came to that conclusion? Is it just because of your skin color or was there something you said? It was a conversation about um, the question was like, do you feel we were three of us black women on this panel and they were like, or at this radio show and they were like, do you feel, have you felt growing up that you had to um, like assimilate to white culture, like with your beauty standards, you know, and everyone was answering. And I said, for me, I think I said something like it was a little bit of, of both, like, you know, depending on where I was, like, sometimes I felt like really drawn to being, you know, assimilating to white cultural beauty standards. And sometimes I felt really drawn to assimilating to black cultural beauty standards, just based on where I was. I really think that interviewer, um, took a liberty because I, he knew me more personally and, um, Ooh. he took a liberty and it's, Yeah. So they knew, like you had already told them on a personal note. I I had not told them, but I believe that we we know so many mutual. We have so many mutual friends. I would imagine that, like, because it wasn't the first time an, an, a radio interviewer had done that to me, and the last time I just was like, no, and I just shut it down and I just didn't let it go. I mean, I just was like, no, no, nope, you can just move on to your next question, like. But I think because I was in this spot, I was already in this like spiraling space of already, I was just, I was perfectly primed for him to lob it and for me to, yeah. <laughs> and that Those was the first, that was the first time you ever mentioned said it, it publicly. Yeah. How was that for you saying it publicly? All of the, every, it was everything. It was like, it was it was terrifying. It was liberating. You know, it was like, I was scared because like, oh, what does this mean? I was like, how's my family going to feel? Um, you know, there were a lot of people being like, thank you for sharing your story. You know, it's similar to mine. Um, I don't regret that it came out. I don't appreciate how I was pushed into it. Um, I, if it definitely felt like something was taken from me. Um, but it also, that whole interview with everything that came with it, you know, with what I said about my hometown, all that stuff, like it definitely pushed me forward into like understanding myself because then there were no secrets. Like right. I, I wasn't whole, you know, I would, I think I always felt like I had this, a secret and once the secret's out, you're like, it's very, very liberating, you know? How did it affect you? You know, in the entertainment world, people get very pigeonholed as far as like typecasts to certain things. Was there any fear for you? Um, and you said you were on Dear White People when, when you mm -hmm. finally admitted it. Did you have any fear at all that you're like, it was going to change anything either with your cast or people or no? I didn't have the fear, but it did affect how people discussed me in public forums, which mm. I found fascinating. Um, you know, when I, <laughs> when I was cast in Dear White People, I knew I was biologically biracial, but everyone who had ever seen like my parents on social media or things, they, some, I remember in the beginning, people would go like, why did they cast this girl who's not biracial as a biracial, whatever, just cause she has light eyes. Like, why did they do that? And I'm like, little do they know. <laughs> and then, you know, then once it's out, they're like, you know, why are all these biracial girls being the ones who are cast in things? So it's like, you can't win you can't for win. nothing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, it's, it's, again, I learned a lot in Dear White People with 
with what other people say and why I think you have to have that autonomy over your own identity is because you'll go crazy if you allow other people to take that control and power from you um, Mm. in deciding who you are, how you get to exist, where you get to exist. Um, I think that's dangerous that people, people play that game and in, in trying to dictate who gets to exist where that's, that's not cool. No, I think that's interesting. And it's interesting how the way people started discussing you change, but that's entertaining. I mean, and it's very, t- that's why I asked the question. Cause I'm like, there's no way in entertainment that didn't somehow become a thing. No. Um, that, that's so funny. So how, like, so how old are you now? 34, 33. So how do you feel like, so this has now been 20 years since the discovery. Good math. Thank you. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. I was like, did I get that right? 20 years. I mean, 20 years is significant now. Like there's some distance. Like when you really look at it as like a journey, what do you, what do you see? Um, yeah, it's, I just, I see, I see that it was all, it all unfolded in the way that it was meant to. And I can also, I mean, I know you're asking me about the past 20 years, but I can also see that like in the next decade, there's going to be more Mm. as it pertains to this topic that unfolds for me. And, um, it's just, I, I enjoy it all. I enjoy like that, that my life's journey includes something like this that I get to investigate and explore. I really feel like it, uh, it informs my relationships with people, my conversations with people, how I view the world. Um, and I'm very grateful. I just, I, (laughs) God really be looking out for me. Like I ended up with these awesome parents, like, (laughs) you know, I, 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 it's, you're very tight with your family. I mean, that's one thing that's apparent. (laughs) Yeah. We're very tight. So really, truly. And, um, I just, I, I just, I don't know. I've always just. And when I look back, I can see how much I trusted and accepted whatever direction that life was going to, you know, put me in and that it's all worked out. And it, and that's how I like, that's why I look forward to the next 10 years, because I know that as long as I have, not as long as, but it'll be more enjoyable if I have an intention and a plan. Um, but even if I don't, like it's gonna, it's gonna flow to where it has to go. Yep. And, you know, I really personally think that it, when, when you when I have an intention in my life, I get to where I need to get to a little sooner. Otherwise I just take a couple of detours. So I think that's a great way to say it. Have you attempted or tried? I don't even know if they're around. Do you have any desire to meet um, your, what do you call them? Do you call them bio? Like, how do you refer? I don't really, um, I just say biological parents. Um, I think that's a part of my next like 10 years journey is like my, you know, investigating that and and, like deciding what, what that's going to look like for me. Um, yeah. If you want to or not. 
What about yeah. what about you? What do you, what do you have any thoughts on well, that? N- no, I think I think everyone should absolutely do what they're yearning to do because again, it's part of your story. So you get to create exactly what we talked about. You get to create how it looks like for you. I find it fascinating. Some people are desperate to know and understand. Some people are like, sure, maybe. And then some are like, absolutely not. So everyone's different. I have no clue how Levy will be. I think we nowadays have so much more information because adoptions are done differently. I don't know how yours was. So it's just a different beast. So I'm always really, I know if she you know, tomorrow was like, I want him out. I would have that, um, almost have that ability to make it happen if that's what she wanted. Yeah. You know? And like, you're just the way most, I don't want to say all, but the way a lot of the adoptions, you know, come together these days, it's like, you just know some, you know, you know how to get in touch with these people. If you're not already, some people continue a relationship the whole time. So it's just, it's interesting, but like your parents, I'm kind of like, I'll give her all the information and then it's up to her to choose what she wants to do. My parents always said that they were all, always, always, always. And I don't know why as often as they did or when, what the conversation would be, but they would always say, you know, whenever, if ever you are ready or want to find and meet your biological parents, we will help you. We're happy to help you. Um, whatever you want. It's your choice. They, I mean, they said, they said that more than anything. I remember like they always wanted me to know, like they were, that it was, it was an option okay. and that mm-hmm. they supported it. If I, if I wanted to do it, but I do remember it being like a little, like, I remember being younger and being like, I don't, once I, once I was 18, I was like, I did personally start to feel like curious, but I didn't want to hurt my parents. And so I was like, I don't know. You know, yes, this idea of, you know, that there are emotions involved. Like, yes, of course, I'm sure when you do it, there'll be like heartstrings for your parents, but there could also be this moment of pride and excitement for you. You know what I mean? You can, you know, you've studied, you do meditation, you can have multiple emotions at the same time. Um, and so it's interesting how though putting that responsibility in the kid's hands, that's a good piece of advice for me. Well, also when my, you know, my dad passed right before I turned 25. And that was a regret of mine because not, I mean, like it was a part, I regretted that I hadn't found them prior to that moment because I always imagined that like, I would be able to introduce my parents to, you know, whoever and be like, look, you did a good thing. Like I ended up with these great people. I ended up with these great people and they've loved me and look how like, you know, loving and kind and intelligent they are. And, um, and like you get, you gifted them something. And I, I always wanted them to be able to meet each other, to like, thank each other for, you know, you know, mm. what I would imagine is a, you know, was a happy kind of transfer. <laughs> so your parents never met them. No, my parents picked me up from the foster home. My mom tells this story actually often. My 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 dad used to say like, "Yeah, you from you from the country, girl. It was dirt roads and <laughs> you a bumpkin." And he's like, "Trailers and whatever." So my mom tells a story that when they went to Savannah, they went to this 
foster home to get me that like all of the kids were sitting out on the like front porch mm. or out in the front or in the, where it was the living room or the front porch. I don't remember. And, um, they were all different ages. Mm. Most of them were like, you know, seven and 10 and you know, all these, all these different ages, ages that my mom knew were not going to, they were not most likely going to get adopted. They were going to stay in the, in the system. And my mom went in and, and, you know, they, they saw me and, and they got to, to interact with me. But my mom looked at my dad and was like, we have to take all of them. Like no I, one else is gonna, we have to take all of them because they're just going to stay here. And my mom was so, she was so serious. And my dad was like, we came for one, we're leaving with one. But my mom was very much like heartbroken. She still is heartbroken that they didn't. I was going to say, she probably know. thinks about that and it probably kills her. Yeah. She's it's like, I could have figured it out and, and we would have raised them and it would have been. Yeah. Very different life. It's that's very hard, but oh my God, it's heartbreaking. Have you seen, is it luck that new movie? It's that opening scenes a little bit, how your mom described where it's like they're, they're one girl's turning 18. So she's literally getting kicked out of the, the house. It's kind of like a nice apartment. And she's really close to the younger one who is waiting for the day and waiting for the day. And the, you know, and it's a whole thing I don't want to reveal, but you should see it. It's pretty amazing. And it's this girl who has to like now all of a sudden live life on her own, but is still really connected to like, I think maybe a five-year-old or whatever, who's still there. And, and then it's Disney. So it goes off on a crazy adventure of, <laughs> about luck and not luck, which is separate. But at the core, those are the themes and it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, but it is the, those who get caught in the system, which is why, I mean, we don't have to go on all the politics, like political tangents, but it's why some of that stuff drives me crazy. There's a documentary kids called Foster that go that like really details. Um, it's a it's <clears throat> it's a great documentary. It's difficult to watch by the end because you follow I think three specific kids and like uh, once they it's the journey of like them turning eighteen and, and being on their own and how they really just get thrown out into the world. It's um, brutal. And then you you know and you kind of see them like start to get on their feet. But what's hard about that documentary? Spoiler alert is that you know, they all end up really not doing well when they follow up with them again later. Well, it's hard to go through that entire period of your life if you don't feel, you know, we're talking about roots. Like, you know, you want, you need that love. You need the roots. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just, that's so sad to me, that part. Mm -hmm. um, shout out to the Covenant House in Los Angeles. I think they might even have another mm. branch because the Covenant House is an amazing organization for anyone who's in LA and wants to get involved um, that takes care of their goal is that age group. It's like 18 to 25 or something like that. I'm sure I'm getting it wrong, but basically it's that exact idea that all these kids go through the system and then they're 18 and they're out and they have nothing. They have no support, not to mention it's not like they had this familial support anyway, but at least they had something. And then that structure is gone. And 18 is a tough time anyway, but with no one, nothing to lean on it's, it's really dangerous and scary. Most kids, and most, most kids fail because, or they go out on the streets in all the ways you don't want them to. And then we, you know, blame them when it's really like, well, we've given them no support and nothing to even mm -hmm. work with. So the Covenant House is a really great organization that kind of targets that age group to really help them, you know, get two feet under them. Yeah. Cause but at 18, you're really, and most of us are still living at home. 
Like, I mean, you go to, you go to college around that time, 18, 19, you go to college, but then you come home. Like you, you, you are. And if you're lucky enough to go to college, it's such a fun, cushy thing. It's like, it's like a bubble, you know? And it's, um, yeah, it's a really scary prospect of these poor 18 year olds that just have not even had that support at all. It's interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to hear where you decide to go with this. And um, I, you have to tell me when you choose, if you choose to meet them and what you discover. Have you ever <laughs> done any like, do you remember, I mean, have you done any regressions or anything in our woo-woo space? Like, do you, <laughs> now I'm getting um... weird because I love this shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't, I haven't, but I, I have a feeling that I do have a feeling that like my, my womb and like first couple of like days and weeks on the planet were not like, I think they were kind of, I think they were spirally. I think they were like, there's probably like love there and love around cause it's a baby but I also think it was kind of like pained wild be just because of how I came in, what the circumstances were. So I have a feeling that like there was a, I have a feeling that it was not maybe not necessarily like super peaceful. Yeah. It's, I, I think about this all the time with Levy and like certain things that she's come into this earth with that are just hers. They're not learned by me at all. Cause they're totally different than who I am. And I'm always like, it could be womb stuff because I mean, her bio mom, who is an amazing human being, it could not have been easy carrying this child, knowing she was giving her away. Um, and she was recovering from so many of her own emotional things simultaneously. So I think about that all the time, just the emotional journey that she was on her own that was affecting the womb. Um, and then even when she was born, they were in the hospital. A lot of times some hospitals will give like a room for uh, the adoptive parents too. And so then the baby kind of goes into that room, but we were in like, you know, a place that didn't have a ton of rooms. It was different. So it wasn't like that. Like I, I had to go back and forth in the hotel. And so Lovey stayed with the bio mom those first few nights and I'm sure it was really beautiful because I think there's so much love there, but I can imagine that love was also loaded with a shit ton of really heavy emotion, which is fair. I can only imagine what that felt like. Um, I really actually, I get very choked up every time I actually talk about it because I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And she was an amazing, she's an amazing woman. So I always think about, wow, just that transfer of energy to Levy. And again, I'm happy there was love. Like I know there was love, but that's also a lot of other shit coming in. But those, you know, those are the things Levy chose to come in for. So these are hers to start that beautiful azalea bush. She's going to grow <laughs> like whatever it looks like for her, you know? So it's part of her like fertilizer, but it is interesting. <laughs> like you're, <laughs> I'm just going to take it to its death <laughs> all the way to the end. But yeah, it is, you know, fascinating because it is, it's not only just the liquid and the DNA you were in the womb with. It's like when you, like you said, when you were first born, it's the emotion that comes with it, the good, the bad, all of it. And it's, we're human beings. We're capable of so much, feeling so much. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about all of us, but it transfers, you know, and it's, 
it's like when the other person's not going through the same, it's like, then you're taking on emotion that you're not even, it's not yours. And then that's, I feel like where we become these interesting individuals because we start almost with stuff that's not ours. It's like, okay, well, how do we now navigate through it? But it'll be interesting as you, you know, if you yeah. choose one day to have a conversation. I mean, even on like a very basic level, like in the, you know, the files that I, I read, um, when I came into the world, I was a, it was, um, a, not a surprise, but like, I, you know, I, I ended up not being the, my, the, the father's child because my mom had like married this, you know, like she got pregnant, married, married this guy. And like, you know, it was apparent when I was born. And so just like the conversations of the families um. around and like, what was all, you know, all of that. And, um, the way in which I, you know, was conceived and like all of these things were just, I think definitely meant that my first couple of, <laughs> you know, my, from, from conception to until the time that my parents came in and swept me away from the foster home, I think it was, was probably like, maybe probably filled with love, but also maybe not, not always very peaceful. No, that's interesting yeah. too. It's, you know, one of the things I always tell Levy and it's my woo stuff where I always say like you, it's like anyone, everyone says you choose your parents. So I'm always like, you, you chose, I'm, I'm refer refraining from saying the names, you chose your bio mom and bio dad because you needed their stories. You needed whatever DNA they were bringing. Like that's who you had to be and whatever that story was. And then you chose us to be, you know, for whatever reason, like we had to be part of the growth, which is so awesome. Like I get to be part of her life, like the real life, which is amazing. Um, that's what's why I was telling her, I'm like, you chose it. So like all the things she's, and, and I have to remind myself that too. So I'm like any of the heaviness or any of the other things that have come with her are because she needs it for whatever journey this is that she's chosen to go on. Because people always ask, people say to me, and I'm sure you feel this way too, they're like, oh, it's so good. You talk so openly about the adoption with her. She'll always feel, you know, love and accepted. I'm like, well, great. I mean, that's my hope. But if her journey is to come in here and feel rejected and adoption was part of that journey for her, like that was her way of like setting up that conflict. She's going to feel that no matter yeah. what I say or do. And that's her journey to go on. And I'm not saying that's it at all. That may not be part of her journey at all. Mm -hmm. um, so far, it doesn't feel that way, but you never know. But my point is like, you choose what it is that, that hard thing in life or multiple things that we're, you're going to go through and this, you create the circumstances to have them. And it's almost whatever I say is not going to alleviate that. Like she has to go through it. Like that's what she chose to go through. Like my goal is to do the best I can, but there's some things. It's, de it's definitely something we put, we will, folks will always put something uh, we will put our things on ourselves and like, and that's how we, uh, interpret people and how we interpret the world. I was at a party and this girl was telling me about like her, you know, how her dad left and like how this, you know, boyfriend left. And like, she just, she's, she has her trust issues because like the men keep leaving. And I was like, well, until you, it, until you look at, until you acknowledge for yourself, your, that it's you have a fear that it's you 
you have this fear that they leave because of you and that that's not true, you'll keep walking into it because you're going to need to figure it out. And, um, and it seemed like she really received it. And it's something I've learned. Like I will continue to walk into things because of false truths I've told myself. And until mm-hmm. I like, until I accept that that's this truth I've told myself and that I'm allowed to rewrite it, then I'm going to keep playing it out until I figure it out. And we talk about it all the time. It's I'm doing that journey around the wheel course. And that's one of the big things is stories. We spent like three weeks on stories. Oof. It's like, what are the stories that you've inherited? What are the stories you've created for whatever reason, justifiably probably at the time, <clears throat> but like then now how do you rewrite it? Because you're going to keep living the story until you change its trajectory. And mm-hmm. it's, and we all do it. We all do it. I've loved speaking with you. I mean, Me it's, too. it's funny. I so always want to, I'm like, I want to talk about identity with her. I want to get into it because I remember you and I had that moment where we were kind of started to talk about it and you were such a beautiful light and a beautiful person. I'm so it's, it's really interesting, especially talking to you, watching how all the little dots from day one have brought you to here. And like you said, you're doing more with those dots than you even thought you could, you know, and it's, it's awesome to watch. And I'm, you know, glad that we got to be like even a minuscule part of that journey. And then that allowed our paths to cross too. So as we alluded before, she did go through our teacher training program. So um, I'm so happy to have you do a personal practice where stay tuned because she's going to read a passage about love that means a lot to her that hopefully will mean a lot to you guys listening to. But Logan, thank you. And thank you for being so open and transparent. And I really think it's a very helpful conversation. Thank you. I've enjoyed this and I feel really inspired. Just talking to you makes me, I feel uh, inspired about setting my intentions and goals and continuing to, you know, there's something nice about looking back. So I'm really, I'm looking forward to looking forward and making those plans. This, this really helped me. So thank you. So now Logan's going to lead her personal practice where she is going to read a passage that means a lot to her about love. So Bell Hooks is an incredible author, and I began reading all about love. It's the first Bell Hooks work that I've read, and I have taken my time with it because I enjoy it so much. I tend to do that with things that I enjoy. I want to prolong them. Um, And one of the things I love about her writing is how relatable it is for someone like me who grew up um, very Baptist in the Christian church. Um, and she's can, she's exploring um, what that's meant for her in her personal uh, journey. So with that, I'm going to share this passage that Bell Hooks has in her book, All About Love. She writes, I am especially fond of the biblical passage in the first epistle of John, which tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. From childhood on, this passage of scripture has enchanted me. I was fascinated by the repeated use of the word perfect. 
For some time, I thought of this word only in relation to being without fault or defect, taught to believe that this understanding of what it means to be perfect was always out of human reach, that we were of necessity essentially human because we were not perfect, but were always bound by the mystery of the body, by our limitations. This call to know a perfect love disturbed me. It seemed a worthy calling, but impossible. That is, until I looked for a deeper, more complex understanding of the word perfect and found a definition emphasizing the will to refine. Suddenly, my passage was illuminated. Love as a process that has been refined, alchemically altered as it moves from state to state, fear necessarily leaves. Contrary to the notion that one must work to attain perfection, this outcome does not have to be struggled for, it just happens. It is the gift perfect love offers. To receive the gift, we must first understand that there is no fear in love, but we do fear and fear keeps us from trusting in love. Cultures of domination rely on the cultivation of fear as a way to ensure obedience. In our society, we make much of love and say little about fear. Yet we are all terribly afraid most of the time. As a culture, we are obsessed with the notion of safety, yet we do not question why we live in states of extreme anxiety and dread. Fear is the primary force upholding structures of domination. It promotes the desire for separation, the desire to not be known. When we are taught that safety lies always with sameness, then difference of any kind will appear as a threat. When we choose to love, we choose to move against fear, against alienation and separation. The choice to love is a choice to connect, to find ourselves in the other. And that's Bell Hooks from All About Love. And I get emotional every time I get to the end of that passage. because it's such a simple concept and to feel like, to understand that we're all connected, to understand that those feelings of separation and being alone are, are common, to be able to relate to someone else when you feel that separation or aloneness. Um, and on a very practical, deeper, level, Bell Hooks has really inspired me um, in nonviolence. Um, when she talks about there's no fear in love, you know, growing up in a household that did discipline with, you know, physical discipline, she really challenges the African-American community with that notion. So um, if you're someone who grew up, you know, with you know, physical disciplinary action um, and have been curious about how that uh, has, has shown up in your life, in the form of love and fear, I highly recommend this book. I think it'll really inform how you, how we seek partners um, based on our fears that we've internalized as love. <laughs>